Good morning, High Point Atlanta. I want to bring greetings to you from seven hours north on 75 here in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm so um, thrilled to get an opportunity to be with you. I know we're not physically together, but um, I'm so glad that we get an opportunity to to be a part of the same family. And I know some of you have not had a chance to to meet me. Um, I pastor Every Nation Cincinnati, Um, but it is really truth that we are family, whether you know it or not. And uh, my wife, Siobhan, and I, we have some history with Pastor Andy and Amy King. I like to call Pastor Andy, Andy the King, because uh, we just, we've got so much history. I love his faith. I love his humor. I love his love for Jesus. And, and we go back, not only being on the same staff in Nashville, Tennessee, when we were working as campus ministries, not really knowing a whole lot, but we had a lot of faith. Um, but also, we were in Orlando at the same time. And so we couldn't stay away from each other. And, and, uh, and our churches started close to the same time. So we've mutually encouraged one another, prayed for one another. And um, we, are, we are family here. So, um, and one of the ways that we see that is the times that we get to, to pray together and believe together. And not too long ago, um, we had a chance as an every nation family to have a time of prayer and fasting. And we were really focusing on the theme, Awesome God. And I love the fact that we have those opportunities. And, and uh, you know, it's funny, when it comes to fasting, whenever I get close to a fast, I typically have uh, different responses that I'll deal with. My, my overall sense that I have is excitement. I'm excited when a fast is coming because I know when God's people come together to seek his face, that God is going to respond. And so there's an excitement that I have and an expectation. But if I'm really, really honest... There's also another emotion that I have. It's resistance. It's that childlike part on the inside of me that when it's time to fast, it says, I don't want to do it. I want to eat whatever I want to eat whenever I want to eat it. And and I'll find ways to try to talk myself out of it. And sometimes I've learned over the years, you just got to talk to yourself. Any of you guys ever had to talk to yourself and just tell your flesh to shut up? We're going to do this. And so, you know, the reason why is because when you are in a moment of fasting, you have to die to yourself and you're reminded just how desperate and dependent you really are on God. Now, most of us know what it's like to be desperate and dependent, but few of us enjoy what that feeling is really like. Uh, but, But here's the thing. There are certain things about God that you will never understand until you're in a moment of desperation. I know that's not what all of us really wanted to hear, but there's times where it's in our desperation that God opens up our eyes to see him more clearly for who he is. And what we're going to find here today is we're going to look at a story in Genesis chapter 22 where God takes Abraham and he puts him in a desperate situation. But it's in that desperate situation where God reveals something about who he really is. So turn with me. Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. Now I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version, um, 1995 version. Um, It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him 
and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the word, the, the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Verse 7. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife and to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called, him, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here, am I, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Verse 14. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. You know, we've been in this series, Awesome God. We've been learning so much about the nature of God, the name of God. And today we're going to talk about God is a provider. Some of you, as you hear that title, you're already saying amen because your mind goes back to stories where God has already provided. But I pray that today God would help us not only just to know it, but to know it. And for those who are not watching me right now, uh, uh, I'm, I'm pointing to my head, but then I'm also pointing to my heart. That we would have a greater understanding of what it is to know God as a provider. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word. Thank you for the examples that we have in scripture of what it looks like to trust you. So now today, Lord, I'm asking that you would open up our hearts. Whether we've heard this story a thousand times or whether this is brand new to us, I pray that you would give us the ability to hear it afresh. And Lord, even as they hear my voice, God, I pray that they would be able to hear your voice through it all. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, when we look at this passage here, the story in Genesis chapter 22, it's important that we don't see this story as an isolated story. The very first verse tips us off to the fact that this is meant to be seen within a larger story of what's going on. It says that now it came about in these, um, now it came about after these things. Well, which things are they talking about? 
Well, when you look at Abraham's story in the Bible, it goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 12. And we can read from Genesis 12 all the way here to Genesis chapter 22. Those were decades in between. There are a lot of things that Abraham had learned along the way. He had had promises that were given to him. Abraham learned waiting. You know, he had some things that he did really well and some things that he did not so well. But all in the ups and downs, Abraham was enrolled in the school of faith. He was learning how to trust God. Some of you have been enrolled in that same school. You've been learning how to trust God as well. But Abraham had been enrolled in the school of faith. But now in chapter 22, he's up against something that he had never been tested with before in his life. He's going to be tested and told to do the unthinkable here. And so this is all leading up to chapter 22 in this grand moment. And, and we know from verse 1 that this is a test. Now, it's important to keep in mind that this is a test. Because when we look at the nature of this test, there's some things here that's going to go against some of our sensibilities, mine included. And, and I would would not like for us to draw wrong conclusions about God by the nature of this test. Because obviously God is not into child violence. God is not this cosmic child abuser. This is not, um, you know, child sacrifice. The Bible speaks vehemently against that in scripture. But yet what we find here that God is testing Abraham, yet Abraham does not know that it's a test quite yet. And so in verse 2, we see what this test is all about. He said, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So this is the test. And just in case you're wondering, did I hear that correctly? Did, did I just read that he just told him to take his son? Yes, you heard it correctly. It's meant to kind of evoke the emotion of knowing the level of sacrifice that he's asking Abraham to do. Now, it's funny here that he says in verse 2, take now your son, your only son. It also says the same thing in verse 12. You know what the interesting thing about that is? Abraham actually did have another son. His name was Ishmael. And his mother's name was Hagar, which was their, um, and Hagar was their servant. There's so much to that story. I don't have time to talk about it much now. But if you see in verse, in chapter 21 of Genesis, Hagar is sent away with her son, um, with her son Ishmael. And that was heartbreaking for Abraham. So now Isaac is the only son now left. And this is the child of promise. And so when you hear that language, give, take now your son, your only son, it's to help us to understand this is a great sacrifice that God is asking. And so we see Abraham's response in verse 3. Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. You know what stands out to me in this verse? Not what is said, but what is not said. Wouldn't you think that at that point there'd be a little bit of a dialogue going on? Like, I, I know some of you who are watching this, you're people of faith. You love Jesus. You've been walking with God for quite some time. But, but some, some things, it kind of feels like deserves a little bit of a discussion. Uh, Lord, 
I know you know what you're doing, but I just need to make sure. You know I'm getting up in age. Did I hear you correctly? Let's talk about this. There's going to be some discussion points that I would want to have if I know that God is calling me to do something so great. Mind you, by the way, this is a very unique, rare, this is not a precedent of how he tests us, but just in the fact that there is a test here. And so we, we find that Isaac, I mean, that Abraham is not having a dialogue with him at this point. We don't see any words that are going in there, but what we do see are some pretty mundane details. Abraham rose early. He saddled his donkey. He took two lads to come with him, two young men to come with him and his son, and he split the wood for the offering. Those kind of seem like, okay, yeah, those are details, but in light of the story, that's not, that's not really that important. Here's what I believe is happening right here is that the, the, the author is slowing the story down enough for us to use our holy imagination. Now, we don't see words from Abraham, but let's not act like Abraham was not a human being. He was a great man of faith, but he was also a human. And so you could just imagine some of the things that are, things that are going on as, as, as Abraham is going there to saddle his donkey. Just imagine what's going and running through his mind. What in the world? Oh, God, I'm going to trust you. Know about this. He's splitting the wood. Could you imagine, what in the world am I going to tell Sarah? Um, yeah, honey, we just need to go for a couple of days. We're going to worship. We'll be back. All the thoughts that you could imagine are going through his mind that he would be dealing with. That's why it's important to make sure when you see people going through things, just because you don't hear something coming out of their mouth does not mean that they're not wrestling on the inside. I believe here in this story, Abraham is wrestling on the inside. And, and so he's, he's got all this going on, and yet he gets up and he goes to the place where the Lord shows him. And we learn that this is a three-day journey. Could you imagine carrying the weight of this request on you for three days? You're traveling. You don't even know exactly where you're going. You have a lot of questions that are unanswered, and you're going. And as you're traveling, you got all these things, and you're sleeping out in the open wild, and you're, you're getting up, and you're continuing to go. And, and this goes on for three days, and verse 4 lets us know that on the third day, he looks from a distance, and he sees the place where God was showing him. Notice what he says here in verse 5. In verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. See, already what we start to see in the story is this, this quiet confidence going on. He, he doesn't have all the answers of what's going to happen, but he lets him know. He says, listen, me and the lad, we're going to go worship, wait here, and we're going to return. Now, the book of Hebrews helps us to get a little bit of background information of what's really going on. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, as they're recounting what God was doing in the life of Abraham, here's what it says in verses 17 through 19. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises were offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he was also received 
which he also received him back as a type. And so that seems like an obscure little passage here, but what is given us is some background information because as Abraham is going, it seems as if he's figuring, well, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but even if Isaac dies, somehow you're going to bring him back to life because we're going to return. We're coming back. Sometimes we don't know the, 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 the when, where, why, how, all those things, but there's a confidence that we see that we have to have. And so Abraham, he's saying, listen, we're going to come back because God is, this, this is, God has given me Isaac. This is the child of promise. Surely God is faithful to his word. So even if he's got to raise him up from the death, God's promises are more powerful than death. So let's keep going. And so they keep going on this journey. And they grab the wood, they grab all the stuff they need. And now, although there were four people that started on this journey, at this point in the journey, it was just Abraham and Isaac. That's a whole nother sermon right there, isn't it? Certain part of the journey, your circle gets smaller. And as he's going there, he's, he's walking. And then in verse 7, Isaac has a question for him. And this question here, it's a pretty reasonable question. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father... And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, the Bible here in this passage describes Isaac as a lad. Now, as a lad, that would have made him early teenage years. Which means that he's old enough to know that something ain't right. We don't know what Isaac knows in this story, but but he's probably done this sacrifice thing a few times now. And, and he's looking around like, yes, this is different. Father, where's the sacrifice? And, and also, by the way, since he's an early teenager, he's old enough to probably run away from his hundred and something year old father. I'm just saying. And so we asked this question. Verse eight, some of y'all acting like that would have never crossed my mind. Um, Abraham responds, he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. I, I love this response here. He says, the Lord will provide. Have you ever had to convince somebody when you didn't even have all the answers? Abraham, remember, he still doesn't know all the details of this test. He's just moving forward in faith. God will provide. And then we see the climax of the story in verses 9 through 12. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Again, pay attention to those slow details. It's meant to slow us down. I, I think that he was probably... Kind of slowly. I know me. I would at least be kind of putting it on there real slow. Let me just make sure. In verse 10, Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. I like that. It's like, now I know. 
See, at this point of the story, Abraham realizes that it's a test. This was a test after all. And now in this desperate situation, what was on the inside of Abraham now gets revealed. And so he sees here, you've not withheld your only son. So you don't really even understand this story until you've had something that you treasure and that you value kind of being having to be placed on an altar. And so in verse 13, Abraham raised his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Just as Abraham said in verse 8, God will provide for himself an offering. God indeed provided. Not a moment too late, by the way. And so what Abraham does in verse 14 He called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Now, I'm sure Abraham knew that beforehand. But how many of you guys know that he probably had a deeper revelation of what it meant for God to be provider after that moment? It was in that desperate situation that Abraham was in that now he is reminded of the truth of who God is. God will provide. See, there's some things we know about God by way of information. And then there are some things that we know about God by way of revelation. You know, there are some things that we don't know about God until we're in our desperate situation. You know, uh, you know, we talk about in 2020, we learned a lot about a lot of people. But here's the question. Did you learn anything about God? See, we can talk about, I want to know God as a a healer, but you don't know God as a healer until someone you care about has been sick. I want to know God as as my peace, but but we want to stay away from the storm. I want to know God as provider, but how do we know God as provider until we've been in a place where there's a need? And in this moment, God reveals himself as the provider, not by way of just information, not just because he read it in a book, not just because somebody told him, but because he was in a place that was desperate. And in that desperate situation, God began to reveal something about who he really is. I believe God wants to reveal who he is. Don't waste what you've been walking through. Open your eyes and say, God, I'm not just looking at what you're teaching me about everybody else. God, what are you teaching me about you? You know, it's interesting about that word provider. You know, that word provider actually means to see ahead, pro meaning forward. Vision, meaning to see, is to see forward, to see ahead, to look with anticipation of what's going to be needed before that need is actualized. You know, um, if, if you've ever, if you've ever had to leave the house with a baby, there are certain things that you better be able to providentially know ahead of time is going to be needed. You know that they're going to need a change of clothes. Some of y'all might need multiple changes of clothes. 
You're going to need to, to, to make sure you bring your, your bottle. You're going to make sure you bring your diapers. I'm sorry, your bottles. You're going to have to make sure you bring your diapers. You're going to have to make sure all those things are all set and ready to go. Now, I made the mistake once or twice as a younger father where I forgot to bring something. Yeah, I learned. But we know that at, if you're going to go out of, out, uh, out of town or you're going to leave the house even for a couple of hours, you better make sure that you have anticipated the needs beforehand. Now, the baby is not just sitting there thinking, I hope that my parents remember to get the bottle. I'm going to be hungry about two o'clock. I hope they remember to bring the bottle, please. No, no. They just know, listen, when I get hungry, I'm going to yell. And somebody better have thought about this beforehand and make sure that I've got some food in my mouth right now. This is really how, how it works. It works. So we have to be providential in our thinking to anticipate the needs. Here's what we know about God. God knows the end from the beginning. He is able to see ahead perfectly. And so he knows what we need even before we knew that we needed it. Now, come with me a little bit here because I want you to picture this. See, you know that ram that was in a thicket? Do you know how much providential thought had to be in there before that happened? At some point, there was a ram that had to be born. That ram had to be nursed and that ram had to grow up. And at some point, that ram had to find its way wandering at just the right time, gets caught in a thicket. And by the way, how did the thicket get there? At one time, that thicket must have been a seed that was in the ground. And as that seed was in the ground, it began to germinate and it began to grow. And that thicket happened to be at the right place at the right time. And God said, okay, Abraham, now I want you to go into the place that I'm going to show you. And at the right time, God providentially had the thicket had the ram, had Abraham all there together at the moment to provide. God sees the end from the beginning. He is a providential God. I'm so glad that God provided what we need before we knew we needed it. Do you know that's what we have in the gospel? Do you know that's why the gospel is the good news? It is the good news that, that God became man in Jesus that he lived the life that we were supposed to live and he died the death that we were supposed to die in our place. But here's the difference. In, in Abraham's story, Abraham was able to have his son spared. God did not spare his son. The ram came in place of his son. Jesus came in place for all of us, which means that Jesus not only died for us, but Jesus died as us. And so he died as us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, proving that he truly is the son of God. And now he provides salvation for us sinners. He provides peace for those who are shaken and, and lacking peace in their mind. He provides hope for the hopeless. And all we have to do is repent, turn from our sins, turn from trusting in ourselves and turn towards him in faith. Somebody say God provides. We see here in this story that God is a provider. We see all throughout scripture, God is sovereignly ruling over all and that he's bringing all things to work together the way that he wants it to work together and we can trust him. And so when we understand that God sees ahead, it changes the way that we interact with God. See, how you see God will determine how you respond to him. And as we see God as, as provider, then we can respond to him accordingly. Now here's what, I wanna look at a couple of things here of, of how we respond in trust 
to God. See, because he is um, a provider, we can trust his direction. You know, when I look in this story, here's what's interesting. Abraham had a direction before he had an explanation. You know, we are given clues to the story in verse 1. God tested Abraham. Did you know that Abraham wasn't able to read that during that time? He's given the test in verse 2, and he is not brought into the idea of what's going on until verse 12. So sometimes we have to live between verse 2 and verse 12 without having all the answers. How in the world do we live between 2 and verse 12? I heard a pastor say it like this. The teacher usually does not talk in the midst of a test. See, when you're in a test, the teacher is silent, isn't it? But it's not until later that, that he finds out, I would love it if every time something bad happens, I just had a little angel. Actually, it would probably freak me out. But, but it, it'd be nice to know, hey, by the way, I, someone's going to get smart with you at work today. And by, it's a test. That family member is going to say something sideways. It's just, it's just a test. You're going to have this situation, and, and I know it doesn't make a lot of sense to you, but it's a test. No, no, we don't always get a chance to read verse 1. Sometimes we have to live between verse 2 and verse 12. And the question is, are we still going to trust his direction? Are we going to trust him when we don't have clarity about everything that is going on? Because we would have wrote the script a lot different. Some of us are waiting for everything to make sense before we start obeying. The way that we know that Abraham trusted God is that there was obedience. There is obedience here. I'm not talking about trusting his direction, meaning that you live life in whatever way you want. And then if anything bad happens, we just throw God's name on it. I'm talking about when you're living in obedience to God and you find that the direction doesn't quite look like what you, uh, uh, God, you sure you know where you're going? You know how it is. You ride in the car with somebody. You're not sure that they really know where they're going. God, you sure. But because we know that he sees ahead, we can trust his direction. But here's the second thing, is we can trust his timing. You know, when we look in verse 10, it says that Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay him. And then after that, he, I mean, he, he wasn't like pretend. He was like, he was really going to do it. He wasn't like pump faking it. He, he was really getting ready to do that and just in the nick of time. The angel of the Lord calls out, don't do it. I'm so glad that he is on time, that we can trust his timing. There's a song that we used to sing uh, growing up in church. Some of y'all know it. He's an on-time God. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And they go, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. I, I, I'm usually more on key than that. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And, and I love that. And it was just kind of a cool little neat song. But if you've walked through some things where you've had to try to trust God's timing, there's something about that song that begins to speak to you a little bit more, knowing that God's timing is not our timing, but his timing is just right. Some of us had an image in our minds of what our lives were going to look like at this stage. My career would be at this point by now. You know what? My life would be at this point by now. Things were going to look like this with my family by now. My money was going to look like this by now. And when we look, we say, God, it, God, do you know what time it is? God, do you know where, what season of my life I'm in right now? God, you're not moving quite on time. And I want us to know we can trust his timing. 
because he is providential. He knows what we need when we need it. We can trust his timing. But here's the third thing. We can trust his goodness. We can trust his goodness. You know, Abraham walked with the Lord for a long time. His relationship with the Lord didn't start at verse at chapter 22. He had walked through years of learning how to trust God, years of learning how to say, yes, Lord, and seeing God come through. And so now when he gets to this great test in chapter 22, he doesn't know the nature of the test, but he knows the nature of his God. And sometimes we have to tell ourselves when we do not understand the why, we trust the who. God, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why my loved one had to go through that. I don't understand why the situation isn't going through the way that I hope. I don't understand why I started this business that was taken off and then COVID hit. I don't understand why things are happening. I don't know that I have all the answers, but God, what I do know is that you are good. I know that you are good. You've proven yourself too many times. You've shown yourself faithful too many times. And God, I don't know that the situation is good, but I know that you are good and I can trust you because you'll provide whatever I need whenever I need it. After all these years of walking with the Lord, Abraham had to know in his mind that God did not lead me here to leave me here. He didn't bring me this far to just say, you know what, you're on your own now. God will provide. I can say that for us as a church. We know that God will provide and every step of the way, there were so many questions that we had, so many things. God, how is this going to happen? God met us every step of the journey in my own personal family. When, when God called um, my wife to, to leave a job that seemed to be much uh, more lucrative and, um, and, and we decided to, to walk together and, and figuring out what ministry life is going to look like as a married couple, God said, I will provide. When I look at just the relationships and the, the situations that we've been in, God has shown us over and over again, God will provide. And I know that wherever you are right now, you've got your own stories that God has provided for you. I want to pray for you right now. I want to pray for, 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 for those right now who are struggling to trust God. You're struggling in your heart to, to trust God with something that you value. It's easy to trust God with something that doesn't mean that much to you. But I'm talking about you're having to trust God with something that you, you deeply value. It might be something financial in nature. Maybe God is calling you to be obedient and giving and being generous in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable and God is saying, trust me. Well, what if, what if I don't have enough after that? God, are you gonna provide? Be obedient. Maybe the thing that you're struggling to, to trust God with is a relationship. God, what if I, if I give this to you, then what's gonna happen? And so we're trying to hold and hold and hold and God is saying, will you trust me with this? Maybe the thing that you need to trust God with is, is something as it relates to your career. You, you think you have an image of what your career and your life is going to look like, but you sense God moving in a different direction, or maybe he's not moving fast enough for you. Will you trust him? What is that one thing that you're struggling to trust God with? Maybe some of you who are watching me right now, you're struggling to trust God with giving him your whole life. Maybe you've played around with church. Maybe you kind of looked at a couple of things and read some scriptures, but you've never fully committed to God because you fear, God, what if I step out and I don't have enough? What if I give my life to you and I don't have enough? Here's what I want to let you know. 
God will provide. He who did not spare his own son, will he not freely give us all things? This God will provide. And I want you to be real specific. So specific, in fact, I want you to write it down. That one thing that you find yourself struggling at times to trust God with. I want you to take it. I want you to write it down so you can see it. We're going to just take a moment to give it to the Lord. What do I mean when I say give it to the Lord? It's where we identify the thing that we struggle to trust God with. And we lay it on the altar by verbally, wherever you are, saying, Lord, I trust you with this. Father, we thank you for uh, such a powerful message reminding us, Lord, to trust you with everything. God, I'm asking that you would help us to do that today. Help us to do it wherever we're watching from, be it uh, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, California, all the different cities and states and places people are watching from. Lord, help us to trust you with everything. It's in the name of your precious son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Dr. Dr. Taylor reminded us of something today, or, or, or really is leading us to an action step that I want to, I want to just follow up with us as a church on, and that's that one thing. Uh, Brian mentioned the one thing that you have a difficult time giving over to God and letting this be a moment for you to give it to him. What is that thing today, church? To our High Point online family right now, what is that one thing that you simply cannot and will not give over to the Lord? Today? Let today be a day of real growth for you. It could be giving. Some of you don't give and you need to start. It's an area for you to begin uh, growing in and trusting God specifically in. Some of you have some, some issues with family or kids or your marriage and, and it just keeps you up at night. This is your day. Give it to him right now, right here. This is your moment. This is your action step. Give it to God. Amen. Amen.